okay and i also want to share with you this all right yep it's there so this is a document that i've prepared uh answering all your questions about what hosting is and how you do it and what the deliverable is it's on lms um and um, you know if, if you don't understand anything from here or if you have further questions um, obviously just message me uh, i also want to know if everyone is comfortable with slack i saw that everyone has joined um, and hopefully it's not too difficult but uh, if you have questions about how it works uh, let me know i guess you'd have to email me about that if you can't use slack and want to know how to use slack then using slack to ask how to use slack doesn't make the best sense uh, all right also we have um, a reading for thursday i hope you've at least scrolled through it yet uh, if you're like me you do it literally the 30 minutes before class uh, but it's a slightly longer one than usual so try and do it a little bit earlier than that um, but it's fun uh, like i said in my email it's uh, the pages look long but they barely take like a minute each to read uh, and it's very nicely written uh, to that end um, also i think Moid has sent you office hours, uh, his office hours. Um, when it comes to my office hours, just message me. I don't think uh, this works like traditional office hours where I'm in my office for X number of hours every day and then you can uh, like be, come to me anytime. So if you want to meet me on Zoom, uh, just message me and we can set up a time uh, whenever it's comfortable. Um, and if any of you are actually in LUMS, then we can meet in an actual physical office as well. Remember physical offices. Uh, Minal says it took her an hour and a half to do the reading. Uh, that's a lot. Um, I, like I said, it should take you 30 to 45 minutes. Um, if it's taking longer, then uh, I mean, good for you. If you want to really get into the depth of it, it's a fun reading, uh, at least for me. But uh, just use your judgment to skim where you think he's just being repetitive or you get the point and then you move on to the next one. So today we are doing something called heuristics and biases. Um, and again, this is where I'm gonna have some technical trouble with how I want to present this. Uh, can I hide this section? It appears that I can't. Oh, I guess I can. Um, I also discovered this very interesting, uh, actually instead of telling you, let me just show you. So Zoom has a share feature. So instead of, remember how I said in the first class that when I'm sharing slides, uh, you either have to look at me or you have to look at the slides and you can't choose between the two. It's either me in a corner or you know half and half so i found a way around that with this little thing here uh, see now i am on the slides so you don't have to choose between me and the slides and i think i can move myself around like this we um so that's fun 
uh, I think top right corner is suitable. Uh, and the cutout looks very weird if I move, but uh, see now you have me and the slides. And if I want your attention, I can just put myself in the middle and I can enlarge myself. So now you're only looking at me and not the slides. How very fascinating technology, huh? Uh, I also want to be looking at you. So uh, I am pulling, uh, see now I can't look at the chat. So again, let me figure this out on how I want to be looking at all of you and the slides. Uh, swap video and shared screen. Nope, side by side gallery. Uh, I guess I can't really look at both of you. So that's tragic. Uh, or maybe I can again who I can see at least six of you I guess that's good enough or eight of you okay then um, so you can see the slides and uh, you can see me move them yes and you can see me on them as well yes no maybe I see a couple of people nodding. Okay, great. And I see yeses in the comments as well. So um, let's start. Heuristics and biases. These are big words. Uh, and let me start by breaking down what these words mean. So first I will talk about what heuristics are. So I will move myself on top of heuristics. Uh, this is more fun than I imagined. Uh, and then I'll move on to biases. Uh, heuristics are quite simply rules of thumb. Um, what, is, what is a rule of thumb? It's um, a process that you're using to speed up uh, a certain decision, a certain mode of thinking. For instance, if I ask you what 60 into pi is, now pi is 3.14, but if you wanted to calculate that, it'll take you a long time. But what you can do is just multiply 60 by 3 instead, and you get 180. So you're using a rule of thumb that says that 3.14 is close enough to 3 for me to just use 3, and therefore, that's a good enough answer. It's not an accurate answer, but it's good enough for the purposes that we have right now. Um, similarly, uh, if you wanted to convert dollars into rupees, and the dollar rate is 167, uh, again, it's a, it's a mathematical example, but it uh, works uh, in other areas as well. Uh, $15, it's a little hard to multiply 15 by 167, but what you can do is break it down into, well, 167 into 10 is 1670, and then half of that is about 800, so 1600 plus 800, you'll get about 2400. Again, a rule of thumb, uh, that's getting you to an approximation. Um, but it's not always accurate. Biases, and I will scoot over here, are errors that arise from using heuristics and rules of thumb. Uh, so the error between the actual answer of that equation and what you came up with is um, what a bias is. It's, I know it's hard because uh, typically when you say bias, you mean prejudice against something or someone. Um, but here we're talking about cognitive biases. Uh, and basically everything I said is on this slide here. Uh, 
can I repeat this example? Um, instead of repeating this example, let me just show you what I mean throughout the course of this uh, presentation. Uh, it's all here. Um, so cognitive errors that result from using rules of thumb. Cognitive, as I said in the last class, is anything to do with the brain. So if you're making a decision, an evaluation, anything like that, um, a mistake you make during the course of that uh, evaluation would be a cognitive bias. Um, again, I think it's easier to just show you what I mean. Uh, so we're going to just dive right into it. Um, now this gentleman here, Daniel Kahneman, some of you might have heard of him or this book, came up with this idea where he says, thinking fast and slow. Uh, that's the title of his book. It's a very well-known book in behavioral economics and behavioral economics is very tightly linked to psychology, uh, which is why there's this intersection here. Um, and this gentleman says that we basically have two modes of thinking, fast and slow. And that's the title of his book. So um, very eloquent with his words. So the, we think fast and also we think slow. Um, I think there's Ed Sheeran lyrics about in shape of you that says fast and slow. And now my brain is being distracted. So what he means by fast and slow is that we have a system one and a system two mode of thinking. System one is fast and system two is slow. Uh, everything else is basically uh, the opposite. So when we're using the system one part of our brains, uh, we're thinking fast, we're doing this unconsciously, we're doing this automatically, um, and we're using this for everyday uh, scenarios. And also uh, that is the mode of thinking that's most error prone. And system two, as you can see, is the exact opposite of that. It's conscious, it's effortful, you're making a conscious effort uh, to think about something. Um, as an example, um, when you start using, when you started to use Zoom for the first time, you were probably using system two because you have to pay attention to what Zoom is, where you have to click to get to a certain function, how something works, uh, where all the options are. Um, and today when you launched Zoom, you were probably using system one because you already know where everything is. Your thinking is fast and automatic um, and you're using it every day. So the first point to note here is that things can move from system two to system one with repeated exposure and repeated use. Uh, driving a car, for instance, the first few times you do it, we are using system two. And then um, 10 years into it, you're using system one because you're just unconsciously changing the gears and moving the steering wheel without ever really thinking about what you're doing. Um, and that's where the error proneness of system one comes in. Uh, take the example of driving again. Um, let's say you know the way to your house you go there every day and back. Um, and then suddenly one day you take a wrong turn when, when you were meant to go somewhere else, but you take a turn towards your house. Now that error happened because the way to your house is embedded in your system one thinking. Um, you do that action over and over and over and over again. And then the one time that you shouldn't be doing that action, uh, you know, you make an error and you turn right instead of left. Um, so that's why like both system one and system two have their advantages and disadvantages. Uh, if you started to think about, uh, how 
how to drive every single try every, every single time you were out for a drive you would never be able to get anything done because each time you have to think about it slowly and consciously and make all that effort um but also if you were to make quick decisions every single time uh, then you'd open yourself to a lot of errors um, and so system one and system two kind of work together. Some tasks you delegate to automatic thinking and other tasks you want to pay more closer attention to. Um, I've mentioned here at the bottom, here at the bottom, that they are also called uh, peripheral and central route. Um, and think of that analogy, the, the, the words that are being used. Uh, central route is using the central part of your brain, imagine like a highway you're using, like the, um, the crux of the brain to have more effortful thinking. And then with peripheral route, you're bypassing all of those cognitive functions and moving around um, to make decisions and uh, choices faster. Um, these are the words that are used in actual psychology, uh, peripheral thinking or peripheral route or peripheral So we are going to use system one and system two just for convenience sake, but uh, I would like to mention that this is uh, purely because of convenience and this is the lingo that's being used in the industry. Uh, for a psychology class, they might, uh, someone in psychology might not understand what these mean, but they will understand what these two mean. Uh, can we change any system one to system two after repeated exposure? Um, you can change system two to system one after repeated exposure. Um, going from system one to system two, I guess if you, um, yes, a learning curve, uh, as Ali says, uh, it is possible to move from one to two as well. And that's generally when you forget to do something and you have to start all over again, or one little thing changes, uh, and then you have to relearn things. Um, I will think of an example from system one to system two, but like I said, um, let's say you haven't driven for 15 years and you try to do it again. Um, you know, it's no longer in your system one because you're not using it every day. Uh, and technology, so uh, Ali brings up a very uh, interesting point. Technology is getting us from system two to system one. Now you don't, with the apps you have, with the phones you have, with the tech you have, you don't have to do repeated things. You can just delegate it to uh, system one thinking, uh, such as the reorder button. Um, so if you go on Food Panda, you don't have to necessarily think about what you want to buy or what you want to eat each time. There's a reorder button, you just press it and it's there, it's done. Uh, so that's how uh, this is happening. Um, there's a lot of comments in the chat and I'll get to them, uh, but I want to speed up a little bit. Uh, so if I ignore your chat comments, uh, I will get back to them later. Um, here's an example of system two thinking. In the first class, I asked you why you wanted to take this course. And we had a bunch of answers that said they were you were doing a minor, you wanted to do grad school in this, uh, and uh, you know it might help in your SPROJ. So when you're considering this class, you think about how is this going to help me in my future? Uh, do I have time for this? Does it fit with my schedule? Um, am I interested in this subject? Um, you know, and you're doing that by making trade-offs with other courses. What other courses 
might I take instead of this one? Um, and so you're spending a lot of time and cognitive resources in coming to uh, taking this course. Um, so all these people used system two to think about why they wanted to take this course. But we have one person who said last semester's mid is why they wanted to take this course. And that's system one thinking because it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, all of the conscious effortful decisions. It's just a snap decision that they made that the midterm was nice. And so I'm going to take this course. Um, so completely bypassing all of those things in order to come to a faster decision. So good on you, it's as you saved a lot of time for yourself and you're still here with us with the rest of the class. So uh, you had other reasons too, but you didn't. Uh, that would ruin my example. So I'm not going to consider those reasons, silence. Uh, so this is a bunch of, um, let me, so this is the number of cognitive biases I covered last night. Uh, for this class, I'm going to uh, trim it down a bit. And if we have more time, then we can go through some of these as well. Um, so I want to start with confirmation bias. Uh, very simply, the definition here that I've put, uh, there's multiple definitions, but one I want to choose is that we tend to favor and use information that confirms our previously existing beliefs. Uh, now, what that means is I believe in X, and therefore, in order to confirm that X is indeed the case, I will only look for information that confirms that X is the case and I won't look for Y or Z or alternative explanations. Um, so I'm ignoring all of the information that uh, disputes my pre-existing beliefs about uh, what X is. Um, as an example, um, if you took a certain medicine and that medicine worked and you felt better after taking it, uh, you will then probably not consider other forms of medication because this is the one that worked for you. Uh, and so you're only going to go look for other evidence that confirms that that medicine works and it is the best. Um, a lot of experiments in science do that. Uh, let's say I'm a scientist that's researching that, um, I don't know, drinking orange juice causes obesity. Now I'm not going to look at other explanations for obesity necessarily. I'm only going to look at papers that confirm the link between orange use and obesity, and then I'm going to, you know, sort of pile up on that evidence. Homeopathic medicine, as it does, is the placebo effect basically, um, is also an example of that. Um, you basically, you're seeing what you want to see um, and ignoring things that you don't want to see. Um, an example that I think comes to mind is with the whole reopening of the campus thing. The data is there, but you're only seeing the numbers that you want to see uh, in order to get to the conclusion you want, which is to open the campus. And someone else who doesn't want to open the campus will see the same data very differently to confirm their own pre-existing beliefs. And they'll throw links at you and say, okay, either and therefore I am right. And you will have counter links that show that you are right. Um, precisely because the point is not for you to change your mind, it's for you to try and make the other person change their mind and they're not going to change their mind either because the information that they're getting is what already aligns with their uh, beliefs. Um, so 
a nice little Venn diagram for that. Um, you see what you want to see. And um, here's a comic that illustrates that as well. Uh, I really love this comic because this happens multiple times a day for all of us. Um, when we say we're doing research, what we mean is we're only going to look for what we already believe in. Um, and so you can start to see where the implication for that is uh, for using technology or the internet, um, because there's a load of information out there. You can't possibly get through all of them, um, but you will go through the ones that you do like. So that's confirmation bias. Um, it's an explanation for sharing articles based on the headline. You just search for something, headline pretty, it already conforms to what you believe in, you just send that article. Uh, polarization, I think you guys are saying that in the chat as well. Um, you have people divided upon certain issues simply because they're not going to look at uh, this confirming evidence uh, against their opinion. Uh, fake news spreading. I already believe that 5G causes coronavirus and therefore I'm only going to search for how does 5G cause coronavirus instead of does 5G cause coronavirus. Um, and those are the only things that I'll be looking at. And also more critically, it affects newsfeed algorithms. So Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all of these things rely on you to tell them what you like and what you don't like so they can serve you more of what you like and less of what you don't like. So if you only interact with things that you like, things that you already believe in, you're only going to be served more of that. And therefore, there's no way that you'll get an alternative point of view on your newsfeed. And if you do, we tend to mute or block those people because we don't want to hear what they want to say. Um, so, you know, social media is um, not very great for information bias. Um, I, I should mention the reason why we're doing these is so that I'm putting a name on things that we commonly experience when we're using technology. Um, and once you know that something has a name, what that does is tell you that you're not alone. Other people are also facing these issues. And also knowing is half the battle. So once you know that you are falling victim to this particular bias, you're also more ready to change your behavior in order to do the, in order to fight against that bias. Uh, let us move on to the halo effect, uh, which is similar to the first example I gave with Ethazaz and using this course. Uh, so quite simply, there's a longer definition and then a smaller, a smaller one at the bottom. Um, I shall move myself to this one. Uh, one trait is used to make an overall judgment. So um, if you think that someone has one good trait, uh, a positive or a negative trait, not necessarily a good trait, um, the effect of that, excuse me with the phone, the effect of that spills over from one personality area to another. Uh, as an example, uh, first impressions, yes, um, depending on how much exposure you have. So in this example, just because the dog has nice fur uh, must also mean that he's a good boy and he clearly isn't. And so you see that happening with people as well, especially on Instagram, just because someone appears to be attractive or successful must also mean that they're intelligent and hardworking and uh, you know good with other aspects of their lives when that clearly isn't the case. Um, 
So celebrity endorsements uh, on social media, uh, judging people online based on their profile pictures. Um, you see that a lot when you don't know someone. Again, uh, Lila said, is it particular to first impressions? Yes, and also no, in the sense that if the online version of that person is the only version you have, then it's just reinforcing their positive traits without you ever getting to know their negative uh, traits as well. And you guys can see that, like if you have a friend uh, who is very popular amongst people who don't know them very well, um, that's probably because they only see the good side of that friend or they only see a limited version uh, of that friend. Um, it also applies to products and services, not just people. So if you find a badly designed website, even if it's offering a good service, you might say that, well, I don't like the colors and therefore the service isn't good as well. Uh, the opposite of the halo effect is the horn effect. Um, so halo is something that an angel has over their head and the horn is like the devil's horns. The horn effect is uh, a negative trait spilling over to other parts of their uh, personality or you know, traits. Um, so it also happens to apply to selling new products and influencer culture, influencer culture, uh, in that Apple makes good phones. Therefore, if they make, um, I don't know, a car, it will also be good. The one good thing, one positive trait spilling over to other unrelated areas. Um, and again, I want to, mention again how this affects us online because we only get to see a limited version of someone online uh, and therefore it, it, it pays us to think more closely about is this really the true side the true version of that person uh, because or are we rating them inaccurately based on a certain trait again uh, could be anything ranging from they made a typo in their argument therefore uh, or they work at McKinsey or something, and therefore they must be smart or hardworking and all of these other great traits as well. Um, Halo effect, a subcategory of confirmation bias, sort of. Um, I want a lot of these spill over uh, because they're all related to our brains and how they malfunction. Um, so uh, we don't have to neatly divide these effects. Uh, a lot of them are interacting with each other as well. Um, and then the third one we have is uh, pretty simple to understand negativity bias, which is that we pay more attention to negative things um, compared to positive ones. So if you upload a picture and you have 20 comments that say, hey, you look great, so pretty, and then one comment that says, oh, that this is so bad, or you know, it's a mean comment, that one mean comment uh, will outweigh all the nice comments that you're getting uh, because we pay more attention to the negative stuff. And that also is an explanation for why certain things tend to be shared more often than others. Um, so again, you recall and think more about insults compared to compliments and you respond more to negative uh, stimuli as well. Uh, but part of this is because of the fight or flight mechanism uh, for the non-HP people out there. Um, let me not explain that just yet for this class, uh, maybe later. Uh, but um, we just have a bias towards 
thinking and processing negative information more than positive ones. Um, and that serves us well in some contexts. So if a lion is running at you, you probably want to look at that negative stimuli and run away. But a lot of times um, we're misprocessing the information that we have because people like to type mean comments online as an example. Um, and for them, it's not mean or it's not something uh, that's a big deal, but for you, it will weigh heavy. Uh, the fight or flight mechanism. Uh, um, so smear campaigns in politics, for instance, uh, some politician might be doing great uh, in every metric, but then one bad thing happens and suddenly they're a terrible person or politician. Again, with social media witch hunts, um, someone, for instance, Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, was in the news recently for mistreating her staff. And uh, she's charitable uh, and all of these nice things about her. But then one bad thing happens that she mistreats the staff and then suddenly Ellen is canceled. Um, same with news coverage and clickbait headlines. If you look at news, most of the news will be negative because that's what we're paying attention to most often. Um, and again, with design, especially in technologies, uh, one bad design choice, one bad typo, one bad experience, uh, something didn't work the first time around, uh, there was a typo, um, can affect how you perceive the whole thing and you don't come back to uh, that service again. Um, this I took from the BBC today. It's um, all of the most read news today. And you can see that a lot of them are negative. Um, so broadband, again, I'm being loose with my definition of negativity, but there's broadband outages. Uh, there's a killer, John Lennon killer, not just a killer. Um, if you go left to right, you can see that there's probably not a single, uh, good thing here, which is sad. Um, so we'll talk about more, uh, talk more about what makes things go viral and what makes these articles be shared more often. But one part of that answer is that negative things tend to get more attention. Uh, I'm going to send you uh, a message on Slack now, uh, and I'd like you to open that link. So if you have Slack uh, ready, do that. Uh, and um, all right, I am going to send this to you and you. And uh, I'm guessing all of you have it after this one. So let me know if you have gotten it or not. And let me stop sharing for a bit so I can share something else. So I want you to open that link and uh, follow the instructions. And while you do that, I am going to see if I can 
pull up the results of this survey in a way that I can share it with you. If there's one thing you should know about me is that I hate bad technology and this service that I'm using is good for a lot of things, but for this particular thing that we're doing, it's really bad. So now I am very annoyed at how I can get the results for this. Uh, oh, you can't spin the wheel. This The wheel is there for illustrative purposes. Um, it's not interactive. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I had not considered that that would be a problem. Uh, uh, you can't find what the link? Uh, I sent a DM. I hope everyone else got it. Uh, I see. I, I Okay, that's on me. I, I missed out on your name. Uh, let me just send it to you. This is why I should be double checking my work. Um, here you go. All right, I am. You would think that the one thing you need from polls is results, and that's the hardest thing to get from this service that I'm using. That's really bad. Noted for future use, do not use Qualtrics. Uh, let me know if you guys are done with this. Okay, great. Now all I have to do is figure out how to get the results and then we're yay. Uh, okay, I have this and I have this. Okay, hopefully this works. It does work again, it's very slow. Uh, okay. So there is a problem with this survey. Um, and the problem is with me because I missed out on including a critical piece of information. So I guess. Uh, Actually, we so I'm not going to show you the results because the results are pointless here. Uh, but here's what happens. Um, African UN, sorry about that. Um, I made these like last minute, so it's entirely my fault. Uh, let me show you last year's results then. Um, 
Google Forms are good for polls. Yes, but they're not good for the specific type of poll that I wanted to do. Uh, let me show you. Let me share this instead. I want to share Safari. There you go. So, so the reason I, I'll tell you exactly what happened here. Um, I asked for uh, you to spin a wheel of fortune and then tell me whether the percentage of African countries in the United Nations is greater or lesser than that number. Um, now here, uh, I, I changed it to 15 for some people and 75 for other people. Uh, but the mistake I made was that I didn't um, what? that I didn't change the options. Uh, so it still said 75 or 15, which makes the poll not very good. So here are some people, 50% uh, of the people said it was greater than 10 and 50% uh, said less than 10. Um, and then when you ask them, see, bad technology, uh, what the exact percentage is, uh, this is the distribution uh, of answers that you get. Most of them say that it's between 11 and 15%. Uh, some of them say it's between 16 and 20% and you can see it's all clustered together uh, here. Um, however, when you change that initial information to 75, uh, here it says 65, I changed it to 75. Now, the vast majority of people said that the percentage was less than 65. Um, and then if you asked them to estimate the exact percentage, you can see that there's a lot greater scatter here. Um, in the previous version, I think we went as far as 30, but now we're getting 31, 35, 36, 56, 70, uh, all of these answers. Now, objectively speaking, um, yes, it is called anchoring, which we'll get to. So that number 75 or 15 anchors you uh, to what you might think the actual answer is. So if I told you that the number was 75%, um, you say, well, it doesn't sound like it's right, but let me adjust that lower. And when you make that adjustment, it's still 50 or 60 or 40. But when I tell you that the number is 15, you say that that's a little lower than you expected. So let me adjust that upwards. Now that number was completely random. So it shouldn't affect uh, what you think of the actual answer, but it does. Um, and therefore we have the anchoring effect. Uh, again, this is clunky. Uh, oh dear, let me just skip the... I did not think this through, so please excuse the technical difficulties here. Um, again, bad technology, also bad users uh, such as myself, but uh, I'm just going to use this for now. Um, so here, this is what the anchoring effect illustrates. Uh, essentially, the tendency to rely too heavily on certain pieces of information. Um, and that's usually the first piece of information that you receive. So again, it's linked to uh, the confirmation bias. It's linked to the halo effect. But here, um, we're talking specifically about um, any sort of information or create. 
Um, as another example here, um, if you wanted to purchase one of these plans, you don't necessarily know the true value of what this is going to be offering you. Um, but when you see that the e-commerce version is 18 pounds a month, suddenly the seven pounds, the 6.5 pounds a month option starts to feel like a better deal because now you've been anchored at the value of the services as high as 18. Um, but in reality, 6.5, uh, these options should not uh, be affecting how you're perceiving this, but they do because the 18 has anchored you. And if you were to get the startup option, then the uh, 6.5 value is anchoring you. Uh, and so you start to see the 2.92 as a better deal. Um, here's a better example of that. Um, if you were to donate here, so you have three preset options. Let's imagine there was also an option here that said you could enter a custom amount. So when you have the three options as 35, 25, and 15, and I asked you, well, if you don't want these options, how much would you donate? Chances are that you're not going to donate one or $2 uh, because the preset options are 35, 25, and 15, and that sort of anchors you to how much a reasonable donation should be. If I were to change this to five, 10, and 15, then you might be more inclined to choose a donation amount of three or seven or nine. Um, but if I were to change these to 500, 300, and $100, then you're not going to donate five because Sharamati, okay, that 100 minimum has my five. So that 100 is anchoring you. Whereas in reality, that open text entry field is there for you to enter any any amount you want, but the amounts next to it are what are uh, controlling how you perceive that option to be. Um, let me pause here. Uh, I will answer questions in the chat and I will also uh, give you a five minute break. Uh, we've went on longer than intended. So we are not recording. Now we are resuming the recording. Um, so I will continue with the screen share that I had before. Um, I aspire to have a more friendly way to do this, but until then, uh, this is what we have. All right. So uh, I want to resume with the bandwagon effect, which is, um, well, you can tell from the name, the tendency to do or believe things because many other people do or believe the same thing as well. Um, another way, another way to think about this is social proof. Uh, there are two slightly different things, but we can clump them together. Following the herd is another uh, term for it. Um, here's an example of that. Uh, so Apple products uh, are particularly in, people are particularly inclined to buy them. One of the reasons being that everyone else has it, so therefore it must be good, therefore I must buy it as well. Uh, yes, the local saying, Minhal, is Baki sapani mein chalan maarenge to tum bhi maaroke. The answer surprisingly to that is often yes, uh, even though it's meant to be sarcastic. Um, so Bitcoin and Pokemon Go are two relatively recent phenomena where you can see this, where you don't really know why it's popular or what's happening, um, but it is, and therefore you also want to try it out. What is this new thing that everyone is doing? Uh, you see that happening a lot with certain apps. Uh, I don't use the 
same apps that you guys, House Party, I think, is one of the apps that took off and then didn't. Um, TikTok, I think, is a little more than the bandwagon effect. I think it's here to stay. Um, those are more fun uh, examples. Some of the more serious ways that uh, this affects us is that it's an easy way to form an opinion. Um, what we don't like to tell ourselves is that we don't know uh, many, many things. Uh, and so therefore, when someone asks us for an opinion or if you're online and uh, you're on Twitter, for instance, and everybody is echoing the same opinion over and over again, you start to follow that opinion, so it's probably right. Uh, you don't do your own research, you don't form your own opinion, and you just take what the, the crowd is giving you. Um, and that means you're also overlooking facts that might be inaccurate. Again, linking back to what we started with, um, which is we see what we want to see. Um, social proof, as I said earlier, is to see that there are other, the proof part of social proof is seeing that this thing is socially acceptable. This thing is gathering social steam, as it were. And the bandwagon effect is a result of social proof, which is that a lot of people are doing this. Therefore, I will hop onto that bandwagon and also do that thing. Um, this is an experiment that Facebook ran uh, in the last US election. And so they showed two different messages on people's news feeds. On the message above, uh, it just said, today's election day. Uh, did you vote? And then there's a button that says, I voted. And in the bottom message uh, sent to uh, the other half of the experimental group, um, they also included this little thing here that says, uh, these friends and 18 other friends have also voted. And they found that people who received this version of the message were far more likely to actually go out and vote because of the social proofs that mere dost to therefore maybe karunga. So the ethical implications of that aside, um, it's a very powerful tool um, and a feeling of missing out, absolutely. Um, I would love to have a debate on whether it's the right thing to do. You would think that a higher voter turnout is objectively a good thing and we want that, but do you also want to be manipulated by messages that nudge you to do something that you might not normally do otherwise? Um, so that I think like where we can all relate to the bandwagon effect. And then the next one we have here is the false consensus effect, um, which is a tendency for people to overestimate the degree to which others agree with them. Um, we've encountered this time and time again uh, on social media, uh, just that we don't recognize it. Now, if I think that, uh, I don't know, cigarettes should be banned, and then I follow other people who also think cigarettes should be banned forever, um, then I might start to develop this opinion that everyone thinks obviously cigarettes should be banned. Um, and that's false because I'm not, I'm overestimating the degree to which people agree with me. And part of this links back to the people that I'm following, um, the people that I'm interacting with, uh, the confirmation bias that I have. Okay, if I believe something, others also believe that thing. Um, and this is an explanation for 
many Twitter debates because if you're only interacting with the same sorts of people, uh, you're never getting an alternative point of view. And so you start to believe that this is indeed the way things work in the world. Everybody thinks this thing, whereas in reality, it might only be you or a handful of people or maybe even 50% of the people, but not everyone. Um, again, I'm powering through a few of these uh, because I think they're not particularly complex, but uh, if you need me to explain anything in greater detail, let me know. Um, I am also going to send another link out on Slack. Uh, this time, hopefully not with the same mistakes you learn from your mistakes, but um, here we go. So that's one. That's two. One of the things about Slack is you can't message more than eight people at a time. Uh, I can send in the Zoom chat. I want there to be a little more uh, permanency because when I have this on Slack, then I can reuse these same groups again. And Mahir, I've sent this to you separately. You can look at it. Uh, and now to go back to that terrible uh, software that I hate. I'm gonna give you guys a minute to do that. And this one requires a little bit of thought, so put in that thought. What I will do in the meanwhile. Okay, that was fast. Done, done, done. I see you have seen this before. Uh, if you've taken other courses, then you will have seen many of these before, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, I will introduce you to another thing that you almost certainly have seen before uh, as well. Uh, all right, I'll wait for a few more duns. Actually, I'll wait for this to actually show me the results. Again, I will. I might consider Google polls uh, the next time. And I'm very annoyed at this. Um, so it's only showing me three, four, five people so far, unless that's a, an error or it's not updating it as quickly as I had hoped. Uh, and dun, dun, dun. Okay, I have now 10 and nine, okay. Uh, let me share the results. Well, I'm going to be there now because yeah, So this is what I have. Um, now the whole point of this is, um, and the reason why I wasn't sending this on Zoom, is uh, because you're receiving two different versions of this question. So in the first version, um, let me refresh this. Okay, great, I can't even refresh. So in the first version, the question says, 
uh, if program A is adopted, 200 people will be saved. And if program B is adopted, there's a 33% probability that 600 people will be saved. And the 66% probability that no people will be saved. Um, in the other version of that question, it's the exact same information. The only difference is that it says, if program A is adopted, 400 people will die. And if program B is adopted, there's a 33% probability that nobody will die and a 66% probability that 600 people will die. So instead of using the word save here, um, we're using the word die here. Um, the numbers are still the same. If you adopt program A, 400 people will die. That automatically means that 200 people will not die, which is what this says, 200 people will be saved. Um, but the way the die versus save problem is framed alters the results. So here you can see that if I said program A is adopted, 400 people will die. Uh, only three people have opted for program A because program B sounds nicer, um, that there's, you know, people will be saved. Um, here, however, with the same information, you see that the results are a lot closer um, because here it says 200 people will be saved. Um, and if we had a larger sample size, I'm pretty sure program A would far outstrip program B because it says that uh, people will be died, saved. Now I'm confusing myself as well. Uh, the point of this is to say that um, the way the information is presented affects how you make a decision based on that information. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, I will have a better setup next time for this. So drawing different conclusions from the same information, depending on how that information is presented, is the framing effect. Um, and you can see many different versions of this online. Uh, some things are as subtle as a change in the wording. Other things could be a little more detailed. So here's an example. Um, you have one tub that says 20% fat, the other says 80% fat free. The information is the same. Uh, in both cases, it has 20% fat, but because fat free sounds nicer, you opt for that option instead. Um, here's another one of these, uh, bringing it to a more technology friendly design example. Um, should a search function be redesigned based on usability testing? Um, if you frame the results as four out of 20 users did not find the search function, uh, then people say, yes, it should be redesigned. And if you give the same information as 16 out of 20 users found the search function, then it's say, you know, there's a greater weightage towards, no, it's fine, or I'm not sure. Again, the, the results are the same. The information is the same. It's just how you're framing that information that is having uh, an effect on what people are choosing. Um, so another example of this was uh, where they did an experiment in which they showed people uh, a video of a car uh, in an accident. Uh, with one group of people, they said, they asked, how fast do you think the car was going when it hit the other car? To another group, they asked the question, how far do you, how fast do you think the car was going when it smashed into the other car? Uh, and I think there was a third one in which they said, how fast do you think the car was going when it made contact with the other car? 
the words they're changing is contact versus hit versus smash. And they found that people estimated the speed to be faster when they used the word smash than when they used the word contact or hit. Even though the video is exactly the same, the cars are the same, everything else is the same, the speed is the same, but using smash or contact or hit changes your perception of it. Again, um, if you have, if you see a headline that says, um, I don't know, player A criticizes coach. And then there's another headline, it's the exact same story that says, player A lambasts the coach and you know rips into the team and says this and that. Uh, it's still from the same interview, but just the way that they're framing it amplifies the uh, effect of that message. Um, and that's how a lot of uh, articles are headlined, precisely because uh, these article writers know what gets our attention. Uh, here's an example I used earlier. Um, this is the same uh, story on the same day on the BBC. It just says uh, that the parliament uh, backs terms of UK's exit. Simple, no emotionally charged language. Um, and then this is the same story from the Daily Mail, which is a big ass headline here with bullet points, uh, making it sound like it's a big emotional farewell and so sad and, you know, and last time and there were tears uh, and all that. So it's the same story, uh, just the way that it's framed affects how you think about the importance of the story, the magnitude of the event. and uh, what your emotions are about this. Um, so that's framing. Uh, then we have something that uh, I think a lot of you, I think someone said, uh, tag yourself if you're victim to the negativity bias. Well, you're going to tag yourself here as well. The escalation of commitment, uh, which is that once you're into something, it's very hard to stop. The stakes keep getting higher and higher. Uh, so you're increasingly invested in a decision or in a phenomena based on how much you invested in it prior when you started. Uh, it's also called the sunk cost fallacy. Um, and let me give you an example that I'm sure you guys can relate to, which is this. Um, once you have that snap streak going, it's very hard to pull out of it. It balloons up to 200 or 300 and then 500 and then 900. I, I think in the last class, we had someone on a 950 streak. What's the high score in this class? I wonder what's the longest snap streak in this class. Um, 1560, dear Lord. Um, how many years is that? 1505? Wow. So well over a thousand, like I did not expect multiple people to have thousands. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to get my head around these numbers. <sighs> okay. Well, now you know that there's a name for this escalation of commitment. There's, you're probably not getting the same value out of these streaks when you first started them. But now that you're into them, it's very hard to break away and you're doing them, you're maintaining them simply because, you know, you've made an investment and now you don't want to break it. Um, now that sort of behavior is used in many apps. Snapchat is a, a 
an example of that where it's very obvious, but other things like uh, getting gems or coins, uh, putting a timer on something, um, maintaining and growing audiences. Uh, you know, you have a thousand followers on Instagram and then they grow to 5,000 and then 10,000 and then 40,000. And now you're in too deep and you can't back out because you have so many followers and, you know, uh, followers kya sochenge agar mene post na kia. Um, happens with hardware. If I have a MacBook, then I also want an iPhone. And now I have an iPhone. So, you know, if I'm in the market for wireless headphones, then I'll probably opt for AirPods. And now I have a MacBook and iPhone and AirPods and I need a new uh, desktop computer. Then the iMac is the one that makes the most sense, even though it's not value for money. Uh, and now I have all of those. So then I might as well get a, I don't know, a HomePod or something as well. Um, Jazz app, absolutely. Uh, is this getting autobiographical? Um, uh, yes and no, but let me not talk about me. Uh, let me talk about you. Um, so binge watching TV shows uh, is uh, another example of it, even especially if the shows are absolute crap in their last seasons. Uh, you have to watch them to their end because you started them. They're not giving you the same pleasure or value as they were in the start. Uh, Big Bang Theory's last few seasons uh, come to mind. Um, uh, for the longest time, I had to watch all of them and then I finally snapped out of it and started abandoning shows. Uh, movies may be hota, uh, shows may hota hi hai. Like, I don't know how many of you stop watching a movie uh, in the middle. Uh, that's something that I can't do. I have to watch the full movie. Maybe it gets better at the end, but I know people who quit it after 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and then gems, coins, literally anything. A lot of these things don't have any value at all. Like a snap streak is uh, just a fire emoji and that's it, but it works. Uh, I did stop watching The Social Dilemma. So uh, I guess that is an example. It's not a document, it's not a movie, but yes, uh, good catch. Uh, now I want to introduce another uh, bias and I will sort of illustrate the example that they used in the original study, but I don't know if you can, can you hear this tapping sound on my desk? Because my headphones tend to tune it out. Can you hear something? Okay. Um, so tell me what I am tapping. Oh, I mean the tune, not what the physical object is. So uh, it is the national anthem. Um, <laughs> I don't know the opening of movies, but if I do the same thing again, and this time you know that it's the national anthem, now you can hear it. Um, so again, the national anthem. Maybe I'm a bad tapper, so you can't hear it, but uh, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Uh, and this is the experiment that they did in 
1990 where uh, they had two groups of people one were the tappers and other were the listeners and um, they asked the tappers how many tunes they think they could get the listeners to identify out of a list of 20 tunes and on average they said 18 out of 20 so if i tap i will get the listeners to identify 18 out of the 20 tunes um, what the actual results were uh, were two out of 20 that the listeners could identify after they were tapping um, and essentially the idea behind this it's called the curse of knowledge and it is that once you know something it's very hard to unknow it and you think that everybody else knows it as well so if i am tapping the national anthem in my head i know it's the national anthem and i know that my taps are corresponding with it so i assume that other people also know this but in reality that's not the case because uh, people don't have that prior knowledge i have the prior knowledge that what i'm about to tap is the national anthem so um the definition here is uh, people about problems from the perspective of lesser informed people um, and you see this happening in design all the time many many bad designs which are hard to use are because the designers think that obviously people know how to use it it's right there but that's not how people think so um, bad professors are an example of that they have all the knowledge uh, but they find it hard to break it down to a hundred level class because what they know they think the class knows as well and then they you know they can't think from the perspective of a freshman who's taking their first ever uh, human behavior course um, and here are some examples of this as well uh, i thought this was a nice illustration uh, of that um, let me enlarge this actually um, people don't think linearly and people don't think the way you think um, which is why this effect arises um, this is a screenshot from the which one is this the Faisal bank banking app now it says to own account to other fpl account to other bank account to non-beneficiary donations now the people who made this app think that this makes sense obviously there are five categories and uh, what we know is also what other people know but if you ask someone to use this app um, what is a beneficiary there is no explanation they assume that people know what a beneficiary is. Uh, in some apps I've seen, it says IBFT. What is an IBFT? The banking people know what an IBFT is, which is an interbank fund transfer, but the end user doesn't. Um, and I, I showcased this example because uh, I genuinely thought if I wanted to send it to send money to someone else, I would have to click to other bank account. But actually, that turns out that that's the beneficiary lesson. What I actually wanted to click on was the non-beneficiary account because that account isn't. And when you can see, even as I'm explaining this example, it's pretty confusing. Um, and this is a classic case of the designer being victim to uh, the curse of knowledge. Here's another example from the Raz. They decided to call these categories the Raz Mall, DMART, Global Collection, Digital Sahulat. What is Digital Sahulat? they don't know uh, well actually they know but we don't know and they don't bother to explain that to us global collection mein kya hota? we don't know even when you click on it there's no explanation for it the raz mall kya hai 
was Likave. There is no explanation for it. Um, and part of it, as I said, can be explained by the fact that they know what it is because they've been working with these uh, apps and these uh, products for years and years and years. And so they've forgotten that a new user doesn't automatically know what these things are. The longer you work with something, the harder it is for you to think from the perspective of a unknown user. Um, here is everyone's favorite portal called Zimbil. Uh, absolutely crap user experience. Uh, and a lot of it is because when they were making it, they thought it just makes sense, but it doesn't. So uh, I just took a random screenshot from my end of what I see. I'm sure you have even worse screenshots. Um, what is requested print date? I don't know. What is future release and request date? I don't know. What is the difference between request date and requested print date? I don't know. Uh, what is report request number? I don't know. Uh, but when they were making it, to them it was obvious, but they never bothered explaining it. Um, so classic case, of course, of knowledge. Um, I want to show you this video for three minutes and then I think we're nearly done. Uh, I'll have to, this, this is a problem with having only one screen, a very first world problem complaining about having only one screen, but I have to constantly switch back and forth. Uh, let me know if the audio works when I do share it. Uh, all right. Illusion. Uh did the audio work? Decision-making illusion okay. in, the same, in the same way. Um, this is uh, one of my favorite plots in social sciences. It's, it's from uh, a paper by Johnson and Goldstein. And it basically shows the percentage of people who indicate that they would be interested in giving their organs to donation. And these are different countries in Europe, and you basically see two types of countries. Countries on the right, that seems to be giving a lot, and countries on the left that seems to be giving very little or you know, much less. The question is why? Why do some countries give a lot and some countries give a little? When you ask people this question, they usually think that it has to be something about culture. Right? How much do you care about people? Giving your organs to somebody else is probably about how much you care about society, how linked you are, or maybe it is about religion. But if you look at this plot, you could see that countries that we think about as very similar actually exhibit very different behavior. For example, Sweden is all the way on the right, and Denmark, that we think is culturally very similar, is all the way on the left. Germany is on the left, and Austria is on the right. The Netherlands is on the left, and Belgium is on the right. And, and finally, depending on your particular version of uh, European similarity, you can think about the UK and France as either similar culturally or not. <coughs> but it turns out that uh, from organ donation, they're very different. By the way, the Netherlands is an interesting story. You see, the Netherlands is kind of the biggest of the small group. <coughs> um, turns out that they got to 28% after mailing every household in the country a letter begging people to join this organ donation program. Right, so you know the expression, begging only gets you so far? It's 28% in organ donation. <laughs> <coughs> but whatever the countries on the right are doing, they're doing a much better job than begging. So what are they doing? Turns out the secret has to do with the form at the DMV. And here's the story. The countries on the left have a form at the DMV that looks something like this. Check the box below if you want to participate in the organ donor program. And what happens? People don't check and they don't join.
The countries on the right, the ones that give a lot, have a slightly different form. It says, check the box below if you don't want to participate. <laughs> Interestingly enough, when people get this, they again don't check, but now they join <laughs> the program. Now, think about what this means. You know, we, we wake up in the morning and we feel we make decisions. We wake up in the morning and we open the closet and we feel that we decide what to wear. And we open the refrigerator and we feel that we decide what to eat. And what this is actually saying is that much of these decisions are not residing within us. They're residing by the person who's designing that form. When you walk into the DMV, the person who designed the form will have a huge influence on what you'll end up doing. Now, it's also very hard to intuit these results. Think about it for yourself. How many of you believe that if you went to renew your license tomorrow and you went to the DMV and you would encounter one of these forms, that would actually change your own behavior? Very, very hard to think it will influence us, right? We can say, oh, these funny Europeans, of course, it would influence them. But when it comes to us, <laughs> we have such a feeling that we're in the driver's seat. We have such a feeling that we're in control and we are making the decision that it's very hard to even accept the idea that we actually have an illusion of making a decision rather than actual decision. Now, so let me pause that here. Um, <clears throat> Since we're doing names, um, I, I realized that the video is a little choppy, but hopefully the audio uh, made sense. Um, what we're seeing here is called, any minute now, uh, the status quo bias, um, also known as the default bias. Um, and the idea is that people just prefer the current state of affairs. Uh, they're likely to stick to the defaults unless there's a very compelling reason for them to change the defaults. Whatever you present, people are going to just accept terms and conditions, for instance. Um, you know, nobody reads them because uh, uh, can you not see the screen? I can see the screen from my other device. Are you able to see the screen? Everyone else? Yes, no, maybe. Okay. All right. Um, so the idea is that the power of defaults is very, very vast. Whatever you give people, they will take uh, unless they have a reason not to. So for instance, how many of you actually bothered going into Zoom's settings or Slack's settings, even though I pointed them out? Probably not a lot of you, uh, because what's the, what the default is, we're fine with it. Um, and I mentioned in the last class that Slack by default has uh, notifications snoozed after 10 p.m. Um, many other uh, apps give you the option to set snoozed notifications but Slack does it by default. Uh, and that makes a huge difference in the adoption of that feature uh, because most people won't change that feature. Uh, and if you were to not give that feature, if you were to give that feature and not have it on by default, then again, most people would not go on internet. Um, here's an example from Amazon's app. Uh, when you buy this thingy, uh, by default, it has this selected to subscribe and save. Uh, so instead of just purchasing this bottle of Omega, whatever pills, one time it says, we're going to subscribe you to this and every month we're going to send you a new bottle of this. 
Now that's very devious because maybe you just want one bottle, but if you're not paying attention, you just go with what the default selection is and you just hit subscribe now without thinking, uh, you know, here it says two months, most common. Uh, so whatever the default is, people aren't going to stray very far away from that. Again, uh, sort of mixes in with the anchoring bias in this case. Um, here's another one from Uber Eats, which is sort of like Food Panda. Um, here they've opted people out by default um, by not including utensils. So if you want your plastic spoons and forks, you have to ask them specifically uh, instead of the other way around where, you know, how many people would say, actually don't send me spoons and forks, I have them at home. Um, here you have, you're defaulted to not getting them until you specifically ask and that's, you know, changing human behavior. Um, because most people won't change the defaults. They just prefer what's given to them. Um, and then the last one we have for today is called the spotlight effect, which is that people tend to believe they are being noticed more than they really are. Um, a great example of that is this class right here when the people who have their video on are very conscious of how they're looking and then everybody is only looking at them. Uh, whereas the reality is they're probably looking at me or the screen or more likely they're looking at themselves every few minutes to see how they look. Um, and that happens we, to all of us, we're the stars of our own show. Uh, we see uh, every little thing, every little imperfection in our own selves. And we think that other people see those too but they don't because they're too busy looking at themselves and their own insecurities uh, or just looking at what you should be looking at here, which is the screen. Um, so again, there's social media implications for that, especially when you're taking and uploading photos. Um, a lot of times I being the unfortunate photographer have to take 15 different versions of the same photo because the subject in that photo didn't like the first one and the second one and the 14th one because they thought, okay, yeah, I, I don't know, it's not my good side or, you know, my leg looks funny or my face isn't the way I want it to look like. Uh, whereas the reality is that most people will, when they put it up on Instagram, most people will just give it, what, 0.3 of a second to scroll and be like, oh, this person was here and then move on. Uh, whereas when it's your own profile, you're zooming in and checking out every single detail of that photo. Um, and again, the, the, the implication is here that um, it's not about you. Everyone is just worrying about themselves. Um, and therefore, whatever you put online probably doesn't need to be scrutinized as much as you are. Um, so this was a small selection of biases and cognitive uh, errors that we're making. There's plenty more, which I will start introducing in some of the other sessions, um, you know, maybe one or two uh, in each subsequent session. But even with this sample, you can start to see what the design implications are uh, when it comes to psychology and technology, uh, how you can shape people's behaviors by changing the information in front of them, by framing it, by anchoring them to certain pieces of information. Um, and as a designer, you have that power to shape behavior. And as a consumer, and now that you know about these and that there's a name for these, uh, you have the power to avoid these 
I'm, I'm not going to say scams, but to avoid these effects, because um, the more you know about them, the, the more you can start to analyze and understand your own behavior and what's affecting it. Um, so it's 7.30, let me stop there. Uh, for next time, do the reading. Uh, again, don't spend an hour and a half on it. It's not worth it. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, most of it as well, uh, but do actually read it, uh, skim it, scan it, do whatever you want. Um, there's That book will explain those concepts far better than I can. Um, so don't skip just because we're having a lecture on it. Uh, and um, I think that is all for today. So I shall see you on Thursday. Uh, and hopefully the future sessions will be a little more interactive than this. Uh, yeah. All right. Bye-bye.